Going to sea is not risk-free. You are in a floating metal box in the middle of nowhere. You can't phone the fire brigade or an ambulance if something goes wrong. You need to be there to deal with it. And those things do happen. But as your career goes on, you learn how to deal with those things and deal with those correctly because you've seen it, done it all before. And welcome to episode four of our podcast, Of Course, A Sideways Look at Life at Sea. I can't believe we've made it this far to episode four. And what a fantastic series we've had up to this point. Helen, can you believe we've got this far? I'm thrilled. I'm genuinely thrilled. And I'm also very excited about this episode because not only do we have another really interesting story about life at sea, we have got somebody who I know really well, Captain Susan Cloggy Holden. She's the first female captain of the Royal Fleet Auxiliary and I know her through our joint work in the Maritime UK Women in Maritime Task Force. She is an inspiration and she uh, it continues to be a huge support to loads of young up-and-coming seafarers in the maritime industry. And Helen, we're releasing this podcast around International Women's Day, and we have talked about um, female representation, gender diversity within the maritime industry on this podcast with Sanjam episode two. But just as a reminder, what is the situation for women in the maritime industry? Women still remain a very small percentage of the workforce when it comes to jobs at sea. It's somewhere between the range of two and three percent of all seaborne positions, and it's kind of heavily dominated towards the cruise industries where you do get to see more women working at sea. So because of that, women do continue to face some challenges at work. They face challenges when they seek to start a family and have a family because there's often requirements to be away at sea for you know many weeks or months at a time. They can face challenges when it comes to promotion up through the rank because of that. And they can also face challenges in accessing uh, menstrual products and having kind of private spaces when they're on board as well. So despite all those challenges, there is also loads of opportunity for women working at sea. And I think some of the information that Susan is talking about on the podcast today will really shine a light on some of those opportunities. Yeah, I think it's a really rich story when we speak to Susan and all of the the wonderful experiences she's had at sea, but also open about some of the challenges as well. So I think we've a really interesting interview in store for you today, folks. As I say, a really rich story with Captain Susan Cloggy Holden, the first female captain of the Royal Fleet Auxiliary. I began by asking Captain Cloggy Holden, what is the Royal Fleet Auxiliary? Can you just, for listeners, tell us exactly what is the RFA? Because I, I think a lot of people may not have heard of the RFA before. So the RFA are the supporting arm of the Royal Navy. We supply both Royal Navy and coalition uh, ships when they're at sea, anything from fuel, water, food, stores, ammunition, toilet rolls, that sort of thing. We also move troops and vehicles, helicopters, and also we uh, participate in disaster relief. For instance, in the Caribbean, post-hurricane, often it's an RFA that will go to assist. So what is the main difference then between the Royal Fleet Auxiliary and the Royal Navy? 
So whilst we all work for the Ministry of Defence and uh, our ships are big and grey and uh, have some self-defence weapons, we are civilians, we are merchant mariners and we are under different terms and conditions from uh, regular Royal Navy personnel. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, you are the first female captain in the RFA. You know, everyone will have heard the title captain, but what exactly is a captain? What does a captain do? So the captain's responsible for the uh, the ship, its crew and the cargo it's carrying. So in its entirety, when the ship is at sea, the captain is ultimately responsible for everything on board. And what exactly is your role then as captain? Because you were saying that you actually currently work in shoreside, is that right? Yeah, so I've took um, two years out of going to sea um, into a temporary shore post that not only expands my knowledge of the maritime industry, but adds a little bit of variety to my seagoing career uh, and my career in general. Going to sea is absolutely the uh, the best thing that you can do. But by coming ashore for two years to learn new things, to meet new contacts, it makes me a better captain when I go back to sea. We often think of a captain as the head of the vessel, but actually you're a captain, but also work on shoreside as well. So there are shoreside responsibilities that captains also undertake. Yeah, so the ports in the UK comply with a Port Marine Safety Code, which is a code that underpinned by law that dictates how they do their business and how they conduct themselves safely. The way defence assure that is through a team which I'm currently leading. So that is always an RFA uh, captain that will lead that team. And I will go in and uh, give assurance to defence ports that they are operating in accordance with that code and safely. You're from the west of Scotland. Growing up near the sea, is that why you got involved in the maritime industry? Or what was your motivation for getting involved in maritime and uh, becoming a cadet? Um, So growing up, my dad and my brother would get seasick on a rowing boat. So uh, time with the family wasn't often spent on or near the water uh, due to that seasickness. Um, however, when I was uh, just about to turn 13, I joined the local sea cadet unit. And that's where my interest in sea really started. Throughout my teenage years, I spent the whole summer on small boats, on the River Clyde, every weekend, some nights through the week. I really lived when I wasn't at school on the sea. And why was that? I mean, what was it about the sea that you just enjoyed so much? I think it's unpredictable. No two days are the same, uh, whether that be weather conditions, um, what we're doing, things that we encountered. You didn't really get two days of the same. And that's the same now in my career. You get up in the morning and whilst you think you know what's going to happen that day, that's usually not what happens because something else will come and influence that. So, yeah, the the unpredictability of it is probably what got me interested. I mean, is there a moment that you remember, a sort of light bulb moment where you go, I'm going to do a cadetship? Or when you look back on it, was it just something that was sort of inevitable? I guess I met a lot of people that were both in the Royal Navy and in the Merchant Navy. I weighed up both options, the pros and cons of both. And I guess my biggest influence at Sea Cadets pointed me towards the Merchant Navy. And I went to the open day at the what was the Nautical College, now uh, City of Glasgow College, um, when I was at school and met the sponsoring companies. And that's when I decided that this was definitely the career for me. I didn't want to go to university. Whilst I did enjoy school, 
I wanted to do something that was a little less routine than the, than getting up and heading to school in the dark in the winter and coming home in the dark in the winter, um, as I had done my whole childhood. You know, you mentioned there about being in, in the Sea Cadets and then going to do your cadetship. I mean, along that journey, even as a young woman, um, I can't imagine there were many other young women like you around. Did you feel that you were pioneering in terms of gender diversity at that point or did you just get on and do it? I don't think I've ever pioneered and I've never looked upon myself as a role model. I've just got on and done the job that I wanted to do my whole life, pretty much since I was a sea cadet and did it to the best of my ability. It's got me um, where I am now. Is that because I'm female? It's just because my work ethic and actually I enjoy my job. I want to come back to what you said there in terms of just getting on with the job, because I think it's a really important point. But I do want to just ask you a bit about that. You know, did you notice that you were one of few, if not the only woman around, girl around, or or did it not just never really sort of register with you? It wasn't a surprise, you know, that I was one of the only females. There was six females in my intake of about 100 cadets. And likewise, at Sea Cadets, you know, that I was definitely in the minority looking back. But I was brought up, um, I have an older brother and an older sister. My older brother is closer in age. We were always treated equal. I used to go out and play football with his friends. I was never seen as um, as anything different. We were given the same opportunities growing up. And yeah, I, I never seen my gender as, as a hurdle at any stage. You know, there's a lot of women will say there is a, a glass ceiling um, when it comes to moving up the ranks. Did you feel that there was a glass ceiling? Do you feel that you had to overcome barriers that perhaps male counterparts didn't? Well, I think I was conscious that I was sort of uh, lined to become the, the first female captain. And, and that isn't because I'm the first uh, female deck officer in the RFA. You know, there, there is many before me and many very capable women before me, but they have chosen um, different routes in their career, going elsewhere in the maritime industry. Everyone, everyone's got a different career. Everyone's got a different journey and that's what they've chosen. So am I the person that paved that way? Absolutely not. There was many people before me that took all those little baby steps to get me to be the first um, female captain. And it's, yeah, the right place at the right time has resulted in me making history. I see it as I've got to become a captain and that's what I came to see for. Do you think there are barriers to for women? Look, again, we know that women make up, you know, as little as two to three percent of seafarers. Why do you think that is? Poor education growing up. When I was at primary school, I did a topic at school called Doon the Water, Scottish for Down the Water. Um, We went on a boat trip. We learned all about the sewage works. That was a thrilling uh, birthday trip out for me when I was at school. And we learned all about water, what happened to the water, the recycling of the wastewater, trip down the water. No one ever spoke about the careers on the water. My school was probably 15 minutes drive from the Clyde. No one ever discussed the whole uh, range of options and careers in maritime. And there are a lot in and around Glasgow. So so you think actually that what we need to look at in terms of increasing diversity, but also just generally, you know, increasing the, the awareness of the maritime industry, you think that will lead to greater 
sort of gender representation within the maritime industry? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the more senior females we get, uh, the more role models we have for um, for those uh, young girls and boys in the areas that don't really have that awareness of of the maritime industry. The better people can relate to the individual that's that's telling them about this is a fantastic career, the, the more chance they've got to go away and looking into it. So if they can relate to the person that's talking about it, then that's what will get them interested. Absolutely. And look, you know, it's something that Nautilus, we, we're very much looking at in terms of, we hear a lot about levelling up and levelling up coastal communities, but actually investing in maritime education is really, you know, an important move in terms of trying to get people within those coastal communities opportunities using the fact that they are, you know, close to the sea to be able to build that career. Before you were talking about, you know, the importance of just getting on, doing a good job, just doing the work that you're assigned to do. What are some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your career? Probably the thing that I missed when I was a junior officer was was having a mentor, for ha- having someone that you can turn to that's been through it before, that's been there, seen it, done it, that you can turn to if if you need a little bit of advice on where your career's going or your education that sort of thing, that mentors are really important. Now, as I got more senior, I did pick up one or two informal mentors. In fact, I now have a formal mentor. And those people are really important. That friendly voice on the other end of the phone saying, it's okay, I've been there, I've seen it, I've done it, everyone goes through this, or here's a little bit of advice, this is how I tackled that problem. That's really important. You can't get to a senior level in this career without those I call them my guardian angels I've I've got a few about and they have definitely looked after my career whilst they they've not paved the way they've definitely helped me on my journey to get to where I am so so that importance of as you say that person to bounce off someone who's been there and done it in in terms of when when you look back at 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 your career and and you know what have been the, the sort of highlights for you? Like what really stands out as the moment that, that when you think about your career up to this point that you feel the most proud? I guess the first proud moment was getting my off the watch certificate. Um, that was three and a half years of, um, of hard work as a cadet um, to achieve that. And no matter what happened beyond that point, I was a qualified off the watch and I could go and hold a watch on a ship, which is exactly what I went to sea for. And then uh, working up towards my master's, that then um, opened the door to my career ambition to become the captain. Now, it, it took me another 10 years or so because of our um, promotion structure and our rank structure. Um, it takes a little bit longer. We require um, more senior tickets at a more junior uh, rank. That was the key to me become the captain on the ship. And I guess the last major moment is um, me being awarded the Merchant Navy Medal for Meritorious Service. That is a real career highlight. That was for raising awareness and work in diversity and inclusion in the maritime industry. And that's recognition through a state award of my service to the Merchant Navy and, and the work that I've been doing. And that is... That's probably my most proud moment is uh, receiving that medal. 
you have done a lot of work around diversity and, and inclusion within the maritime industry more widely. Can you talk a bit about some of that work that you've done that, that you won this award for? Yeah, so I guess I was in a, a real privileged position where I, before I was promoted to captain, I spent two years in a short post within our headquarters. And that that's, is a prerequisite to become the captain. So I was given the opportunity to to become the RFA's female champion and lead in work to diversify our workforce. And I was given the opportunity to work with industry. I was um, part of Maritime UK's Women Maritime Task Force. And I joined the uh, the small team that produced the charter and launched the uh, Women Maritime Charter. And then that started to, uh, to spread to other areas in the industry. That's the real start of that engagement was um, with Maritime UK, with Maritime Industry, and and really keying into the work that was going on, uh, not just within the RFA or the the wider Navy and Defence, but but also industry-wide, because the the industry can't change as a a singleton little organisation. The industry has to change as a whole. And um, you you mentioned there about the Women in Maritime Charter. Can you just briefly for those who haven't heard about that before just briefly say what that is yeah the maritime uk uh, women maritime charter enables companies and organizations to to sign a charter they will sign a pledge for change and they can sign up to the charter which they will set goals for the next five or ten years whether that be in recruitment whether that be women around the board table there's a whole range of things that they can sign up to um, to change in their organisation. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to meet that target. However, every little bit that they do it goes to, to the bigger cause. If the target is 15% and they get 14%, we're improving as an industry across the board. You know, if, if we're looking, say, 10 years in advance, um, I don't want to set necessarily a completely arbitrary timeline, but let's just say 10, 15 years time. Uh, you know, in your view, what, what do you want the maritime industry to look like? I think the maritime industry should um, reflect society. That if we go on ships and they reflect society, then it becomes a normal way of life. It doesn't reflect society just now. It is getting better. I've been at sea for 22 years now, and it is definitely uh, more reflective of society than than it's ever been. And I think as a nation, we're becoming more aware and more accepting of those minority groups. Uh, Therefore, mentalities are changing. And not just at sea, but also on shore. It doesn't matter their background, their age, their gender. It really doesn't matter. They're there to do a job and and people are much more accepting of that than they've they've ever been. Um, So I think think it's a generational shift um, as opposed to something we we can change overnight. And that change has started to happen. It's going to be a long journey, but it has started. As the first female captain, you you know, speaking to young people coming through the ranks who are doing their cadetships and, uh, you know, again, advice to everyone, but also I'm thinking specifically to some of those young women who are going through cadetships who, like you, will be one of few women in their, you know, in those classrooms undertaking that training. You know, is there a single piece of advice that you could give to them? 
when they come across challenges, don't see them as a brick wall, see them as a hurdle that they need to jump over or get around. There is always a solution. Don't give up if it gets too tough. It will get tough at times. And that's not just for women. That's for, for everyone that has chosen pretty much any career. You will come across some tough times. You need to find a way of dealing with that. And there will be a way of dealing with it. Just persevere and get through it because the, uh, the reward and recognition at the end of it is definitely worth the fight. And finally, then, you know, we've talked about the advice that you give to people that are going through training. But I do also want to ask then just for anyone that's listening to this who who may consider a career at sea or who may not. Why do you think people should consider a career at sea? I mean, what is it about it that you just think, yeah, it's a great career? It's hugely rewarding. Uh, no two days are the same, so it's never boring. And you meet some fantastic people and go some fantastic places whilst fulfilling a career that you will love. I have to ask this question, seeing as you raised it around visiting fantastic places. It's a question I love asking seafarers any chance I get to speak to them. You know, I'm sure you've traveled to some wonderful places throughout the world. I feel it would be remiss of me not to ask if you had a favorite place in the world. Oh, that is a really difficult question. I guess South Georgia has to be um, has to be up there with one of my most favourite places. And purely because not many people in the world have been there, so you feel like um, you're you're really privileged to get that opportunity. And um, the most beautiful place I've been is um, is Tortola in the British Virgin Islands um, in the Caribbean. That is one of the most spectacular places I've ever been. Amazing. South Georgia, I mean, as you say, that it, it, it's a pretty niche place. Um, as you say, not a lot of people can say that they've been there. Did you get to go ashore or were you mostly at sea? Mostly on a ship, but we did get to step ashore to see the penguins uh, be chased by seals. Yeah, it was, um, it was a real once in a lifetime opportunity. Have you had any sort of hairy moments at sea, moments where, where you're thinking, oh, this is difficult? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have, but dangerous moments or moments where you thought this is getting a bit dicey? I thought we wanted to uh, do this podcast to sell this career, not scare people. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I think no, you're right though. But I think because I sense Susan, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I sense that you have a little bit of a an adrenaline in you that you you like a wee bit of risk. Yeah, absolutely. The going to sea is not uh, is not risk free. You are in a floating metal box in the middle of nowhere. You. You, you can't phone the fire brigade or an ambulance if something goes wrong. You need to be there to deal with it. And, and those things do happen. But as your career goes on, you, you learn how to deal with those things and deal with those, those correctly um, because you've seen it, done it all before. I'm going to push you and ask you, is there a particular moment you think back on that comes to your mind? We were crossing the Atlantic from the south coast of the UK across to Florida and uh, we went pretty fast to avoid storms we didn't manage to avoid a storm um in fact we got one from pretty much every point of the compass on the way across the ship took damage and we were rolling heavily for over a week and at that point you thought when is this going to stop and how much more damage are we going to take you get through with your shipmates you become such a team and you trust each other um, such that you know that if something goes wrong, you can rely on the, on the people around you. We did get to Mayport. We fixed the um, damage that we sustained and off we went um, happily into the sunshine. But yeah, I guess that was probably the, the worst 
not the worst weather, but the most um, damage that I've sustained whilst whilst in heavy weather at sea. And yeah, it was a uh, it was pretty challenging uh, week or so. And when when people see you know that on on social media, Instagram, you know these massive sort of waves crashing up against the vessels. I mean, is that's what it was like? Yeah, that's absolutely what it's like. No one that's been to sea will have avoided those sorts of seas. Um, you prepare for them. You learn uh, how challenging they can become. And um, yeah, you just grit your teeth and, and get through it. And uh, you were involved in counter piracy efforts. You know, we have talked to people who have been captured by pirates in this podcast. Um, we, we talked to Captain Rich Phillips, uh, played by Tom Hanks in the blockbuster movie. You know, how important is those sort of international counter piracy efforts? Yeah, really important. That was um, that was about fourteen years ago. I was out there when when actually the piracy was just starting to increase in the Gulf of Aden. There was very few warships out there, and uh, we played a vital role in supporting those um, those merchant ships and transiting those corridors. Um, whether that be uh, offering advice on VHF or speeding to their assistance, it is really important to be there and almost to uh, offer support to our merchant counterparts. Um, on one occasion, I was on VHF um, speaking to a ship who had pirates coming alongside. They had the ladder up. Thankfully, the pirates did not get on board. However, a few days later, I got a message from someone that I was a cadet with and they were on the ship behind the one that got pirated. And he had a, a warmer feeling that it was a that it was someone he knew on VHF and someone that, that he knew that, if something had happened, then um, then they would do whatever they could to help. Now, there's often nothing that we can do, but yeah, that support on on VHF. Uh, some of those days were was absolutely golden. To I, I can't imagine how frightening it is to have pirates approaching you, let alone uh, get on board and take your vessel. Just briefly, if you could explain what VHF is. Uh, so, um, so that is our radio that we will use um, from ship to ship. Perfect. What we talked about is that a career at sea can be so rewarding, but it is also there. There are risks involved, and actually, you know, the the conversation that we had with Captain Rich Phillips, where he talks about this, you know, I think sometimes people think that it's it's just the Royal Navy or you know the the sort of naval forces that take all the risk, but actually, there's a huge amount of risk involved in being in the Merchant Navy as well. Yeah, and the Merchant Navy is um, is hugely important to the UK. You know, 95% of all goods that come into the UK come in by ship and they are not uh, Royal Navy ships. They are Merchant Navy cargo ships. And those ships, you, you're dealing with um, running machinery uh, 24 hours a day. You are on a floating platform and the risks that that takes. And, and cargo handling is... Um, is hugely dangerous too and it's all about learning how to manage those risks and that's why we're so well trained in what we do so that what could be a really dangerous evolution actually we can make not completely safe but um, we at least know the risks that are involved in that. And I think I know the answer to this question but you have certainly have no regrets in terms of your decision to take a career at sea? No regrets whatsoever. I couldn't couldn't imagine um, doing another career that I found so rewarding and enjoyed so much. Brilliant. Well, I think that ends on a really interesting note. Captain Susan Cloggy Holden, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Robert. So, Helen, what did you make of that? 
I think there are some really clear themes emerging in these podcasts, aren't there? Which I'm not surprised about because many of these themes actually were first reported in our Maritime Barometer Survey, which we uh, did of the UK public. But seasickness, just how common that is. I mean, Susan's father and brother both suffered from seasickness. So she really, she's a bit of the black sheep in the family, isn't she, to have pursued a, a maritime career in the way that she has, but also piracy at sea. I mean, this is clearly an issue that has really touched upon a lot of seafarers' careers. And I'm really quite proud to hear of her work in this area and how she supported other merchant seafarers and being able to you know give them a, a level of protection and assistance in what must be quite scary and quite acute situations so yeah fascinating really fascinating stuff yeah the purpose of this podcast is to address the issue of sea blindness right but also yep. within that is that people don't necessarily recognize the risk that um, merchant navy seafarers take whenever they go to sea and i think right. you know Captain Cluggy Holden also touched on that. You know, it's not a risk-free environment. There are lots of risks, but it's so vital um, mm. to everything we do. Obviously, in her case, supporting the Royal Navy, and in Captain Phillips' case, it's cargo. And we know in the UK, for example, 95% of goods that come into the UK come by sea. So I just think, again, that theme coming through that, mm. you know, it can have its risks, but also it can have really big rewards as well. Yeah. And exciting and fun. I mean, you know, she's describing that transatlantic journey that she had where the waves were, you know, uh, all over the place and they had a week of really bad weather. But it was a huge team building exercise and they got through it. And, you know, that's why she wanted to become a seafarer. It didn't put her off. It didn't put anybody else off. So, yeah, just hearing about those experiences, I really hope it inspires young people to explore a potential career at sea. Absolutely. So that's all we have time for today, folks. But up next, episode five. Again, can't believe that we've made it this far, but we've got episode five uh, next month. We will be interviewing Captain Kai Kaltegartner, uh, who was a captain uh, involved in Mediterranean Sea Rescue, who was blacklisted for his work in the Mediterranean, took the employer to court and has won his court case. So that's a really fascinating story of how seafarers often are are criminalised in the course of the work they do. Again, coming back to this conversation around the risks involved in being a seafarer as well. So do join us for that. And don't forget, if you are a serving seafarer and you would like the protection of a union, Nautilus International is here to support you. We have branches in the UK, in the Netherlands and in Switzerland. So check out our website and hope to see you on our membership list soon. Thank you, folks.